Welcome to Shine Me A Light Podcasts in this series, The Last 27 Years. In each episode, we go over the last 27 years in the life of one Sydney Girls High School class of 95 student, and this episode is Zoe Pester. All right, 27 years. Yes. <laughs> Can you believe it? I'm my mom. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't feel as old as it looked. It doesn't, and then sometimes it does. All right, so did you do HSC with everybody else in 95? Or are you one of the people who did? You did. Okay, would you believe there's actually more who left so far than who were there in 95? I didn't know that many people. I didn't really know. I mean, I don't, I just, maybe I did know at the time, but I don't remember there being people that left. Yeah. The thing I just assumed everybody, I mean, I left and I assumed everybody else stayed. All right. So 95, you did did do do my HSC in 95 with the rest of the, with some of the rest of the crew. (laughs) Yeah, with with what seemed like everybody else. And did you go on to uni like, which was the road? Yes, but not straight away. So, well, sort of. So I think I, I can't even remember, but I either, I either went to TAFE that year straight after school. I guess that must have been that because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I think it was that or get a job. And I didn't really, well, I had a job. I had a, I was working as well because I had money. I mean, I can't, anyway, but what happened was, you're not the only one with a foggy memory of the 90s. Just, yeah. Yes. But what happened was at that age, is basically just after I finished high school, my parents, who I'd been having a pretty rocky relationship with for a few years, being a teenager, um, decided that they were moving out of home. So <laughs> they sold our family house and moved states. They moved to Queensland. And I was thrust into the world. It's one way of doing it. So, yeah. So to be honest with you, like looking back, perhaps I do have some issues around that, but I didn't at the time. I was quite glad to be thrust out into the world. My parents helped me pay rent for a year. So I moved into a share house in Surrey Hills, which was its own, you know, story. (laughs) experience um after a year I found out that me being a little 19 year old everyone else there were like adults and I was the only one that had been paying rent <laughs> we hadn't been passing it off love it so we got evicted yeah. <laughs> um but anyway uh, and and then went to London the rite of passage travel and I was working in a pub earning like three pounds an hour absolutely broke no like life experience obviously (laughs) um but it was this pub that had it was it was very much in the scene so it was kind of like a goth punk sort of pub I'm sure you'll remember that that's the the sort of thing we were into in high school yeah and um and it was very much like the center of that sort of scene and so I was sort of in with these people and I was telling someone about this the other day. I didn't have anywhere to live. And, of course, on my £3.50 an hour, £3. 50 an hour or whatever it was, um, it was very difficult. <laughs> so my boss's best friend, so I was probably 19, he was 32, said, oh, it's all right, you can move in with us. So I went back to his house and he said, this is our room. Oh. <laughs> and so that was that. So I ended up 
with him. <laughs> we ended up getting married, moving back wow. to Australia. <laughs> it was wild and just horrendously inappropriate. But at the time, you know, and I think I was still kind of, you know, I don't know whether it was me making my way in the world or whether it was me rebelling against my parents, but yeah, at the time, yeah. it's just what how things were. <laughs> so that was crazy. And, you know, he was an alcoholic and a drug addict <laughs> as well, really. Up. But it was like the party days, right? So that was kind of normal. All my friends drank yeah. all that much and all my friends took drugs, and, you know. So... So that all happened before I went to uni. <laughs> so uh -uh. then I moved back at the age of like 20 or 21 with my like 35-year-old oh husband um, who also was like a coal miner from northern England, from Barnsley. My parents couldn't even understand him with his accent. Um, and so then I went to uni. But, of course, I was then going through this horrific relationship during uni. <laughs> And we went to like marriage counselling, and my marriage yeah. counsellor told me <laughs> this to is a pretty him. simple solution, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like, I can't tell you what to do, but if this was your daughter, like if you had a daughter, what would you tell her to do? And I'm like, well, obviously, I would tell her to leave. <laughs> and she was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> You said it. <laughs> Yeah. So then I went, then I was sort of, I was a, a mature age student at 21 and I felt so much older than all the 18 year olds there because those three years or whatever it was. It does feel, yeah. It fit, at the time that feel that felt really big. Yeah. But of course it's not, no. it's nothing. <laughs> it's no difference at all. It's insane, but it feels different. But it feels different at the time. Hmm. And, um, and so I was at uni, but I was also going through this kind of divorce, separation from my husband. But, you know, then that then we, we separated and that was fine. But so then, you know, I suppose then I was in my early 20s and I had already kind of been through a lot. Yeah. I don't know if been through is the right word. So, yeah, so we, got, we sort of got married so he could move to Australia. Like that was part of it. So yep. we moved back here. And so he, I think... So then we went through this whole process as well, of course, with immigration, <laughs> sort of before we broke up, but not that much before we broke up, yep. where we had to, like, prove how good our relationship oh. was and everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway. Rough. Um, but at uni I studied fine arts because I think I still had no idea really what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was my parents – were really great at sort of giving me the space and not pressuring me to the point that I had no direction. <laughs> to the point space. that I really didn't study for the HSC. I didn't do particularly well. I did yeah. for our school. Yeah. You know, I did fine compared to everyone else. I did fine compared to everyone else. And it was quite upsetting because I got into the exam and I was like, I would have known this stuff if I'd have actually looked at it. Yeah. You know, I tried to make up um, stuff in the history exam. <laughs> <laughs> so if you make it up good enough, they probably won't know. You have to read. <laughs> so I don't know, and I feel like that was because I didn't have a goal that I was working towards yeah. ever, and I didn't 
really in uni have a goal that I was working towards. I was like, this is something I might enjoy. You know, my parents were like, do something you enjoy, which was a great stance to have. And what do um, I enjoy? But what, what, yeah, so I'm now 40, I don't know what I am, 44, something like that. Now, now. And I still don't know what I enjoy. <laughs> I was going to say though does that journey ever end you know like what I don't know what I want to be when I grow up <laughs> so so do what you love is really yeah. great in theory it's just a, yeah it's a great <laughs> idea but yeah how does that translate into yeah and I think that one of the things that I struggled with so much and I think I still struggle with and I'll bet a heap of people that you talk to struggle with or struggle with from our school is that we all had all this potential, right? We were told, yes. Yes, we were constantly told how much potential we had. And to me, at least at the time, but probably still, that was just terrifying. Like how could anyone live up to that much potential? Yeah, expectations were hot. <laughs> expectations. <sighs> and I thought, you know, that was difficult. And I had so I had potential and expectations but no direction. Yeah. Which never really changed. I still don't think I have that much direction. I fell into jobs. So I went to uni to do something that I enjoyed, which was great. And I enjoyed it. And I finished uni. And then I was like, I've got a fine arts degree. What the hell am I going to do with that? What does this mean? what What do I do now? I have no idea what the people I went to uni with, what they're doing now. One of them went on to, I did photo media. So one of them went on and was photographing for a, like a craft magazine, although I'm sure, you know, she was amazing. I'm sure she's gone on to do amazing stuff and I'm sure a lot of them have, but also I'm sure a lot of them haven't because what do you do with a fine arts degree except become an artist, (laughs) which I needed money, you know. I had been out of home for a long time now. Yep. (laughs) Divorced. Trying to kind of live through life. And I had to make money which is sort of still the story of my life, right? We've all got to still keep making money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a <laughs> Unfortunately, weekly need. It's a weekly need. And um, and so I got a job at Flight Centre as a travel agent because I liked Because like, what do you enjoy? I enjoy travelling. I'll be a travel agent. Well, no, the equation works. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> it's gone back yep. to this thing now. I didn't have a direction. It wasn't like I'm going to do this so I'll get to a certain place in my life. Yep. It was just, oh, that, that sounds like fun. I'll do that. Maybe that's a personality trait. I don't know. <laughs> and I also think it's more normal than you think. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking to Grace Kim and I said to her, so what was the dream? You know, what was your big picture? You know, she goes, I didn't really have one. I was just doing what I was doing. And then I was doing the next thing and then I was doing the next thing. Because if I, in my imagination, if I was, a, you know, num- like top in my field in the world, I would have been dreaming of that and planning it and thinking of it all yes. the time. And so, so maybe it doesn't work that way. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe. I'm glad to hear you say that because it's that potential again and the expectations. And I always just assumed that everyone we went to school with was now in the top of their field because they'd had all this direction and they worked towards it. And I guess life yeah, isn't so always yeah. linear. But even yeah. if I'd have had all that direction, probably wouldn't be where I thought I would be anyway or probably wouldn't see success in the same way as yeah. I would have back then because 
I think, you know, you get into your 40s and your priorities so different. change. Like yeah. a lot changes. Your definition of success is definitely different. Well, and I know mine is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think especially if you choose to have or if you choose yeah. to and can have kids, if you do have children, that flips your world on its head, absolutely, um, mostly yeah. in a positive way <laughs> in that I think you, you start to – you start to think really differently about a lot of things. That's my daughter. She's been baking and she's bringing me cake. Yeah, no, she's a really good baker. So there you go. That's one of the positives. Yes, no. I feel like yeah. motherhood changed me so much. And things just happen sometimes too. Sometimes things just happen, you know. Like I think we try to control stuff a lot. Yes. And... I've learned that no. I really don't have control no. over very much at all. <laughs> yeah, you have to be reminded again and again. Yeah, and that's again a big life that lesson. That I, I don't think one can ever really truly learn as much as one knows it. I think humans are so in in you know it's so ingrained in us to try and control things that it's really shocking to us when we can't, no matter how many times that's happened before. Yeah, and had I known that from the beginning, like maybe I wouldn't have felt like such a failure a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. Had I known like your life is just going to be a bunch of stuff that happens. Yeah, which I suppose sort of comes back to what we were saying before about this direct, the direction and the planning. and But it, life ends up not being that. It ends up just being yeah. what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And some of it's good and some of it's bad and, and you're not the architect of it and it's not your fault if it doesn't all go perfect and you don't get 100% credit if it all and does. Especially and, if, we, you know, you, you know, if I'd known that other people's are as well. It's not just mine. Yeah. And, you know, maybe perfect one day is, you know, taking care of yourself and not getting out of bed and things like that and other people are doing that. Yeah, and what perfect looks like one day probably isn't perfect anyway. Oh, it is. It's the relentlessness. Yeah. Yeah, keeping your child alive trying to work as well <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's yeah Same. yeah yeah parenting it, is so freaking hard yeah. you feel <laughs> your lack of control and power parenting <laughs> and, and working is really hard I mean I, I parenting full-time I'm sure is really hard too I'm not in no way just make saying that's less but my experience of doing both is just it, it yeah. can break you. And I feel like everything is this constant prioritization. Yeah. Like you have five things you have to be doing every moment of every day. And you yeah. have to be like, will I answer that work email or yeah. will I stop my kid crying? Yeah. Whatever it is. And, you know, I've posted on one of those Facebook yeah. groups and I got all these people saying, oh, your family must always come first. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, anyone who says that is so oversimplifying the situation. It's not, do I choose my family or do I choose my work? It's, I have to choose both of these things. And that requires a million micro prioritizations. And it's the micro prioritizations which are emotionally exhausting constantly. And I would love to see a behind-the-scenes moment, you know. Your family must yeah. always come first. Honey, get out of the way. Mummy's texting. <laughs> and I sometimes think, you know, you're just saying that because it sounds good on so Facebook. Much- you don't really, We're you don't choose of- your family every yeah. time. We're sort of expected to be superhuman. Say, yes. You know, like- that, that emotional, what do they call it, the emotional load, the, the emotional load. 
mental load. That's it. The mental load, especially for women is, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to be the boss at home. Like I have a job. This isn't my job. (laughs) I don't want to have to be the one that's in charge of everyone. And because then when things go wrong, you feel like it's your fault. This is why I don't like managing people at work and why I don't manage staff. <laughs> because I don't like managing other people because I don't want to be responsible for their mistakes. <gasps> but I also don't want to be responsible for my family's mistakes. <laughs> well, I've only got one and she's nearly 10. And oh, look, I'm really lucky. Since sort of she started school, it's been, I'm really lucky. She's very. And you've got the next 10 years, you know. We'll talk again in 10 years. (laughs) Independent and mature and, you know, we've had had ups and downs. We've had some time periods in there that were difficult. (laughs) But, um, you know, I am really, really, really lucky in that way. As I said, she's just cooked me cake. But, yeah, we've still got the teenage years coming up. So I'm just trying to appreciate what it's like now until that happens. I so clearly remember being like 15 years old um, out somewhere and saying, they think just because we're 15, we don't know anything, but we know more than them. They just don't see it. Oh, wow. And I look back and I think, oh, my God. Oh, I know. Some somebody had that question about you know if you could get in a time machine and go back to speak to your former self, what would you tell them? You know, and I was thinking, I'd just get back in the time machine and come home because it'd be pointless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be pointless. I knew it'd be all. utterly pointless. But you know, the what the one thing I was thinking about about that because obviously coming to into this, I was thinking about high school and you know what changes and stuff. But you know, in high school, we were rebelling against everything I was and I think a lot of us not not everyone but I was just rebelling against everything right and I was like yeah you know now that I'm older I don't do that but the more I think about it the more I think actually a lot of the things we were rebelling against needed to be rebelled against and actually we've just lost that sense of injustice and uh, the energy and maybe that's actually a bad thing I lost a lot of energy that's what i think is is energy. You know. i think that's where our children get energy they suck it out of yeah. us yeah. <laughs> um there were a lot of those issues yeah, that were you know, important think, then you know i remember like the save the planet issue was a big issue then and it's a bigger issue today you know and i just don't have as much yeah. energy as i had in the 90s you know like all generations this happens to. I think all children start with this really, really strong sense of fairness and justice and 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 fighting against things that are unfair. And we spend so much time telling kids, life's not fair, buck up, deal with it. And we kind of beat that out yeah. of them. And I think imagine if not always good. Imagine if as adults we still had that. <laughs> I mean, imagine if all adults still had that. I feel like we wouldn't have between what you were saying at fifteen and what (laughs) we, you know, maybe we should listen to the fifteen-year-olds a little bit more. You know, allow that passion and and zest and fight and want to change things to be more important. Yeah, we'd get some. Yeah, like activism and justice, like social justice and things like that. I feel big. It's it's almost a political divide, really. 
when you're young, you've got like living your dreams. And then when you're an adult, you've got, I've got to pay the bills. No, and all that. And suddenly fairness and dreams kind of give way to bills and reality and day to day those micro survival prioritizations and you know sad in a way all of those things sad it is sad in a way speaking of high school I remember being in English class and we were reading Catcher in the Rye and the teacher said to us why does he keep going around calling everyone phonies And I remember my teenage angst bursting out and shouting at the class, because they are phonies! (laughs) And she was like, "Mm." mmm. But anyway. It's how he's feeling and you're obviously feeling it. (laughs) You're resonating with the character. It depends on what teacher we had too. I can't remember what her name was, the teacher who taught out in the demountable. What was her? Bobby Gledhill. Was that, it? was that her name? Yes, who wrote the Mills and Boone. Who taught philosophy she was as well. Amazing. Amazing. I loved her so much. I wonder so much where she is yes, now. I'm write her name down now that you've reminded me what it is. Bobby Gledhill. And her son was Nick Gledhill. Yeah, I, she inspired me so much. Even just for the fact that she would she take her shoes me off too. and she, you know, would, wouldn't wear her bra or things. I'd be like, you can do this. <laughs> I yeah. love this. And she treated us. She treated us like People. adults, or well, maybe not quite like adults, but a lot more than anyone else ever did. But it was a pretty good school in general <laughs> for teachers. Like, you know. I, I, I suppose so. I wasn't overly happy there. But, again, that was yeah, okay. that was would more probably to do with my mental state. Where could we have put you, Zoe, where like, you would have been happy? <laughs> oh, right? I don't well, know. Um, I remember once in year, I guess 11, and we got caught jigging, (gasps) as we used to call it at the time, truanting, and they called my parents and my parents said to me, why were you doing, why did you do it? And I said, because I hate that class so much. I couldn't bear going to that class. (laughs) So both my parents, parents, by the way, are teachers, or my mum was a teacher before she had me and my dad still taught up until he retired. And they said, well, she told us it's because she's not enjoying that class. What's your school doing in order to make education enjoyable for these kids? And I was like, I have never loved you so much as I do right now. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, because they were such, you know, they and and they've passed it on to me, such a believer that education is should be about a love of learning you know, rather than this test-taking society we've become. I'd been taught to care about it, you know. I'd been taught when you read the book, care about what you're reading, think about what you're reading, question what you're reading. These were were what Sydney Girls High School, I remember, teaching us more rather than, you know, learn to the test. There were certainly teachers that were truly inspirational in that way. Like we had some great art teachers. We had some crazy art teachers, but we had some... (laughs) Art teachers are all crazy. <laughs> but just the whole, I love that. I definitely got taught to think and question and, and care more than I think the average high school student got. And those skills, you know, that you talk about are now, are now what people write books about how that's what we should be doing, being taught. But I don't think our education system has caught up to it. Cycles. You know, you read, you read about it and it's, 
they call them soft skills, right, or 21st century skills. And it's communication and collaboration and create uh, critical thinking and creativity. And this is what they all start yeah. with C for some reason. I can remember them. And it's true. That's what, that's what kids need to learn now because we, we had to learn facts to a degree yeah. because we couldn't look them up. <laughs> we need to teach kids this stuff. But I think that the system is behind but it is. It's having massive mental health impacts on kids. We're not seeing the Like I was speaking to a <coughs> – sorry. I was speaking to a child psychologist who obviously sees a lot of children and we were just having a bit of a discussion about – she was saying that parents now are so much more involved in their children's lives than they have been before. And I said that that sort of sounds like – parenting's actually gotten better like parents are are better parents now and she said no the problem is now the pressure the kids are under so much pressure that it's causing this massive sort of epidemic of she probably didn't use the word epidemic and I probably shouldn't but she's it's caused this massive issue of anxiety and depression and that's what she sees more than anything with kids coming in it's it's gone it's swung the pendulum swung so far that it's gone from parents not being involved enough To parents, oh, but, but it's not that they're involved too much. You can't be involved also, too much in your kids' life. It, but it's the way you're involved. They're here all the time now. Like even in our generation, we went out in the streets and played with our friends. Our parents' generation, they went out from sun up to sundown. We don't let our kids yeah. do that today. It'd be completely inappropriate. Yeah. So they're with us yeah. all the time. Oh. You know. So I think that that's been oh, yeah. a big change. You know. Yeah. So. Being a child has gotten harder and being a parent's gotten yeah, harder. we're all stressed out and anxious. <laughs> I know. And that's, and we're all just now trying to be that stable parent. And actually, like, it's way harder than it seems. It's impossible. <laughs> it actually is impossible. And some of the stuff I scroll through and I read sometimes on Instagram, like, make boundaries, but, but be connected, but pictures. Yeah. I love that your daughter's cooking because I want to eat those cakes. Just have her just give her those cakes. <laughs> I want a daughter who bakes so I can I, eat. That's my solution. My my line about it was parenting is just a series of making decisions that you'll never know if they were right or not. So true. <laughs> because it's like I just have to, I'm just going to do this and I don't know if it's going to screw her up or make her better. See or what happens. Neither, not have any impact at all. <laughs> it's like an experiment without the results. <laughs> and then years later you're like, hey, she worked out okay. Thank God. And that's the goal, really, isn't it? Yeah, and then you see yourself reflected. Yeah, back yeah. I pulled in four far from the tree. And you go, I don't do. And but can you goes, stop being so Oh quiet yes, you do. <laughs> Probably you can't, can you? I'm like, oh, my daughter's been so, so easy to parent for the last few years, on the whole. But I never, you know, when she was younger, she was one of those no kids. I'd be like, do this. No. I'm like, what do you do? If your kid says no, what do you do? And I just had to keep saying to myself, I don't want to raise an obedient adult. While obedience is convenient now, that's not the sort of person I want to raise. Try not to force obedience on her. (laughs) I know. You want to wear your underpants on your head to the playground? Do it. Gotta let them be who they are, even if it's insane. you got to let them be who they are. That's it. I would hate to be the mother that stopped my child from being who she was and then she grew up to not be happy with who she was. It's a question for herself. It's, and it happens to women, I think, so much. 
so yeah. so much more i don't know why i do know why it's the patriarchy that's why <laughs> but um you know i think i'm much more yeah. careful of it or i have to be much more careful of it with a girl i've never yeah. had a boy so i don't know i'm sh- i know that they have their own things yeah. that you have to be much the more high careful suicide of rate definitely like, also remember, because of the patriarchy i remember fe- getting really angry about wanting to be a boy you know like i don't identify yeah. as anything, but I, I wanted to be a boy because i felt like they got so many more opportunities you know and everything was so much easier and and then somebody pointed out to me that the highest group of suicide mm. is men and young men and suddenly it just it just gave me a different perspective obviously they're not that happy you know it's not working for anyone you know so when Lulu was about four, I was talking to her about the gender wage gap. And I was saying, you know, this is a problem and women don't get paid as much as men. And it's because of this system that's set up, this social system. I said, but, you know, that's bad for men as well as for women. It's not just women that that works against. And she said, yeah, like those men might not even want all that extra money. Simplicity. I was like, that is beautiful. <laughs> Not what I meant, but beautiful. But, yeah, they do. They want right. that money. <laughs> the loneliness and the isolation in there. And, you know, and they have so many expectations on them yeah, that are unfair the low, yeah. just based on their gender. Yeah. And, you know, all of these, all of these not all menners that are like pro patriarchy because they think that. They think that it's women complaining about not being equal or not being having as yeah. much. Yeah. They don't see that side of it. It's hurting Every men as much as it's hurting women. The system women. is broken and the system is broken and I have no idea system. what to do about it. If I was you know, 15, I would have solutions yeah. as well. <laughs> I, I see the mess. That's right. Yep. But now we've just got to. Hey, got to get that snack for the kid and answer that work email and we just don't have time to fight the patriarchy man we just have to get our kids fired up about it because they've got the energy all right so pretty much so you're still working at flight center no no so i got into travel and i did really well but I was also working crazy hours and I was earning really good money for the time for my age because it was commission-based and all of that sort of stuff. Um, But I was also partying heaps. I was in my 20s. I was newly free from this marriage. (laughs) I, um, and I was, you know, that was just my fun days of partying and work, work hard, play hard. And the company culture was very work hard, play hard back then. I doubt it is now, but there was a lot of drinking involved. Um, I remember my area manager doing a nudie run through the hotel we were staying at. (laughs) Like it was party central. And then it, I, I think then I went traveling for a year with Dashani. We went to South America for like nine months. Um, which was wild and fun and crazy and we fought and then we made up and all sorts of crazy things. Um, and then I came back and started working for yep. another company as a another travel company as an account manager. Yeah. And again, because yeah. I'd worked in travel, it was a job I could do. You know, it wasn't like oh, I want to do this, it's something I can do. And then I went from an account manager into a marketing 
role. And I, st- I work yeah. in marketing now and I fell into marketing the same way as I fell into everything else. Never had a marketing degree. Yeah. I just started doing it because I'd done similar stuff. But I'd always worked for these small, now I was working for like a small company and I was doing everything and I was still working these crazy long days. Like I was just, I don't know, it's this like yeah, work ethic that was put into me that, but I never got a rest ethic. You know what I mean? I went from that marketing job to another marketing job. <laughs> and um, I was copyright doing copywriting as well then for make, writing travel brochures. Somewhere in there, I suppose in between, just before I switched those two jobs, I met my now husband just two weeks before my 30th birthday. And so a few years after that job, I had Lulu, my daughter, and they let me come back part-time doing a new role that they'd created, which was content marketing. And this was my introduction to digital marketing. And I loved it. So that's when I sort of found what I do now and what I enjoyed doing. And I had a great um, manager, Kian, who taught me so much stuff about it. Um, And then... This is boring work stuff, but I'll tell you anyway. So then I was working doing that and then the person who was – the thing is that the role that I'd had before, the brochure role, they could never keep anyone in that job. I think I'd done it the longest out of anyone because it was so under-resourced. It was just one person was expected to do all this stuff and everyone kept just having breakdowns and leaving. (laughs) So, um, So the person who they'd got in to do that job had a breakdown and left and they said to me, can you do that job? just step in and do it while we find someone else so I'm like okay because I'm such a people pleaser I had to say yes of course I said yes I wanted to make them happy Uh right so I did it and it just dragged on and on and I was doing this and I was so unhappy and then they had this company restructure during that time Cheryl Sandberg her she wrote this book lean in so she calls it tiara syndrome and I was my whole work life I was suffering from tiara syndrome. Work really, really, really hard (laughs) and just assume someone's going to come on and put a tiara on their head for all the hard work they've done. But it doesn't work like that. I was devastated. I burst into tears in my boss's office one day and we were about to go away on this week team weekend and he said, just don't, like, I know you feel this way, but just wait until the weekend. You'll see. It's going to be great. Wait until the weekend. So I'm like, okay, something good's obviously coming, right? So we go away for the weekend and we get to the weekend and he says, and I just want to thank Zoe for the hard work she's done and gave me a bottle of olive oil and a block of chocolate. This is my tiara. (laughs) And I was like, this? This is what I was waiting for? This is my tiara? So, you know, I got sick of being, of working so hard for everyone else and being unappreciated. So then I went to work for a, um, but I eventually left there to go work for a non-profit doing marketing because I wanted to change the world. Maybe I still had some of it left in me. But you know what? Still at this time, I was working my ass off, crazy late nights, 3 a.m., still working. You know, now I had a kid (laughs) I was trying to manage at the same time. Better be from Tiffany's. Waiting for the tiara. (laughs) Waiting for the tiara still. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to start my own business. So I 
it was just before COVID and I wanted the flexibility to be able to work work from home, which is ironic because of course, (laughs) a month later, everyone was working from home. My old job was still working from home. So I was kind of doing both jobs at once. We basically opened an ads management agency for our clients and I was looking after most or at times all of those ads clients. And so then I learned social media advertising and search advertising and I loved it. I loved it. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I like doing it. There's a need for it out in the world. So since January, that's what I've done. I'm not stressed like I used to be. This time, so two years ago, I was diagnosed with chronic migraines and I had to go to a neurologist and now I'm off the anti-anxiety tablets I'm not I'm getting a few couple migraines two or three migraines a month which is night and day different to what was happening before and I think it's just because burning the candle I'm not I'm I've stopped this this constant yeah yeah exactly so now I'm building my own business I feel like it's helping people I feel like it's putting my skills to use it's called Lulu Loves Digital, named after my daughter. So it's named after my daughter. Yeah, she'll grow up in another fairy tale. I don't know. Exactly. She does love digital. <laughs> and I've never loved it, you know. She's a liar. I never loved it. She still called the company that. <laughs> Didn't get any credit. She was just trading oh. on my name. So January, I officially did it. I registered the name of the company to this point i haven't gone out to try and find new clients a lot of it is to do with fear of failure right i know i can do what i do really well i think it's a fear that i'll go out and i'll try and get clients and they'll say no and you know what (laughs) What of course they will you don't get every client that you try and get so you do need a certain amount of people to know what you do and who you are before you can sell stuff but also you need the right people (laughs) i know but working for yourself it does it is there's something i mean there's just something very yeah Liberate, liberating. There's something very liberating about it, isn't there? I think, does this sit right with me, yes mm. or no, and make that decision? And that's the end of it. No one above you. But I feel like I'm the sort of person that has all these ideas. Oh, I should do that. I should do that. And I never do any of them. But by the sounds of it, with your four yeah. businesses and this doing podcast, things, you, know? you have the ideas and you do them. And that's amazing. That's so good. But honestly, taking action is, I think, that as, as a business coach... <laughs> being able to take action is the number one most important part of success whatever whatever that success means thanks so much Zoe for being a part of this series recording that episode was so much fun we recorded in August and I've just discovered that Bobby Gledhill passed away in September 